Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, it's Ramiro. This is Eagle Eyes on Tech. I am Eagle Falcon, and here we have the bonus episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. And this one's actually gonna be quite a doozy. We have a lot of news that we didn't get a chance to talk about. And some of it I really did wish we talked about in the main podcast, not to belittle you guys at all, but I feel like these sort of topics really do need to be talked about to a much larger audience. You'll see why when we get further into this. First off, um, some news that I'm actually greatly disappointed about. Nintendo has indefinitely delayed Advance Wars. Yeah, I'm I'm a little disappointed, especially since I'm I'm here enjoying Red Alert 2 again on the stream specifically too I mean let's let's be honest here for a minute there's only one reason Nintendo went ahead and delayed Advance Wars reboot camp and gave no release time it's because of the war in Ukraine when it first got announced I wondered, is it because of the war? Is it because they need more time and they're not sure how much? No. If it was, if they just needed more time, they would have said how much time they need. This is clearly because they don't want to release a war game during a historic war. There's no other way to phrase it. Which is, honest, to me at least, a bit of a shame. But I can understand why. So, in the end, it is what it is. And I look forward to Advance Wars Reboot Camp coming out whenever it does. And I hope it comes out sooner rather than later. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Meanwhile, here's something that really does grind. <laughs> this really annoys me. So, a while back, we got teased something that looked very interesting. Square Enix announced pretty much a Mario Kart clone, and they called it Chocobo GP. And all of the advertising in it made it look more and more like it is pretty much a carbon copy of Mario Kart with Square Enix characters, which honestly, I would be all in to see, you know, how they reimagine the punishments and whatnot. Because Mario Kart, let's be honest, it doesn't really innovate on the game at all. You might get a new power up here or there. You might get a new character. But for the most part, it stayed relatively the same formula with one exception. They did add a different kind of game mode, kind of like a Rocket League sort of thing almost, except you were just going after each other rather than a goal, which, you know, good for, Mar good for the Nintendo team going ahead and innovating on the platform. Well, 
Square Enix did bring some new things to the genre as well. All of the wrong things. This $50, and I want to stress that, $50 Switch title is so chock full of microtransactions that it absolutely, completely, and utterly ruins the game. The fact that this game costs $50 and is just filled to the brim of microtransactions, converting real money into a fake currency, that fake currency having a time limit, which by the way is a new one for mobile games. The fact that all of that is put before you and, and they have the audacity to charge you $50 for this game that is built like a frickin' predatory casino is offensive. It really, really is. And this, it very quickly turned this game for me to a, yeah, I'll buy it and play it a bit on stream, to a, I never want to see this game ever. What were you thinking? And here's what slays me. This is from Square Enix. They have one of the most successful live service games out there. They have Final Fantasy XIV, which is a live service game. You know what FF14 does that this game really should have? It puts a hard barrier between the game and the extra purchases. Hard barrier. Even in the last live letter for Final Fantasy XIV, they were reluctant to put in a tool within Final Fantasy XIV to let you see some of the shop items on your character. They were reluctant to do that. Simply because they didn't want to cross that barrier. Chocobo Grand Prix or Chocobo GP is literally just a shop with a game in the back room. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And apparently they did something very similar to this with Babylon Fall. I have no idea. No one shared me with me screenshots on this, but I all the screenshots and all the footage I've seen of Chocobo GP. It's just gross. It really, really is. Sale now, weekly login bo bonus, advertising banners about a new season. Bye, bye, bye. It's awful. Absolutely. Terribly awful. And even worse. 
to go ahead and make the premium currency expire after a certain amount of time. Now, one detail that was shown to me was that the f the free premium currency you get per day has an expiration date. The one you purchase with real money does not. It's still, th the premium currency shouldn't be there. You want to go ahead and do something like old games used to do for unlockables and let you earn a certain amount of in-game currency to unlock so sort of new tracks and new characters in a shop. Okay, fine. I still think that's kind of silly. Because speaking of Advance Wars, one of the things I didn't really ever like in Advance Wars, and they didn't fix this until... What is it? Advance Wars DS? Dual Strike? Is that from the get-go, you want to go ahead and take Advance Wars and play with your friends? You have nothing unlocked. You have literally four characters, which is just Andy, Max, Sam, Sammy, and Olaf, or Andy, Max, Sammy, and Flack, and no one else, and you have to unlock literally everyone else. Oh, but there's more game time out of it. In Advance Wars, it pretty much just meant you had to go ahead and play the campaign. Now, honestly, in Advance Wars 1, it wasn't really too bad. I think mostly just because by the time you went ahead and did the various branches of the campaign to actually get the privilege of buying characters, you earned enough currency to buy the rest of the characters and then eventually just play the campaign a few more times to unlock all the war room maps and whatnot. It's still tedious and obnoxious and there's no reason for it other than to be a time vampire. In the case of Chocobo GP, it's not you to be a time vampire, but to then milk the wallet in addition to my time. Absolutely, complete no thank you. No. If I want to go ahead and be bombarded with advertisements and being begged for real life currency, you know what I'd do? I'd answer my phone when it says scam likely. I get enough of that for, from telemarketers. I don't need it from my video games on top of that. And I, for one, am absolutely severely disappointed that Square Enix is going down this route more and more and more, especially when they already know they cracked the code for live service games in the form of FF14. Let the game be the game and then just say, oh, hey, by the way, there's also this shop if you want to go ahead and unlock more special stuff. We've had this system for a while. It's called DLC. All right, well, now that we're thoroughly frustrated with the world,
let's instead talk about the Nintendo Switch OLED model. One of the problems with OLED is what's referred to as burn-in. What burn-in is, is that if your game with a, with an OLED, or rather, if a device with an OLED screen is on too long, showing the same image for too long, it can burn into the screen. Well, someone went ahead and did a massive stress test on the Nintendo Switch OLED. Specifically, this was done by by Sam Makovic from Ars Technica. At least I'm pretty sure it's done by this person. Oh no, I'm sorry. That's who wrote the article. They just wrote, they just wrote it so that it looked like they were the ones doing it. It was actually done by Bob Wolfton, who has done a 3,600-hour test of a single image on an o on the Nintendo Switch OLED to show any signs of burn-in. Okay, then. That's, uh, impressive. So this basically means that burn-in is pretty much a non-issue on the Nintendo Switch OLED. So at least we have that going for us. The Steam Deck has Windows drivers now available for it. So now you can go ahead and you can get Windows 10 or Windows 11 running on the Steam Deck. Should you do it? Is it a good idea? Not really. Fortunately, and oddly enough, I talked about how, uh, about how Linus Tech Tips is most likely going to do a test of Windows running on the Steam Deck on the early bird briefing and literally later the day later in that day when the early bird early bird briefing went up Linus posted his video showing his test results and here's basically what it came down to your performance goes down a little bit using the using Windows 10 on the Switch. Or I'm sorry, on the Steam Deck. See, they're doing it to me. All right, your, your gaming performance goes down a bit. Your loading times go up a decent amount. And probably the most infuriating, the built-in controllers, the built-in thumbsticks, the built-in buttons, seem to be not optimized or picked up by Windows as a controller. And the drivers that that Valve released do not let it be registered as such. It's just basically bad controller drivers. And uh, quite frankly, 
what here's what I would do. If I had a Steam Deck, I would A, upgrade the storage. All right, it's actually not hard to upgrade the storage, especially if you're someone like me who uh, is very, very comfortable getting into the guts of small devices like the Steam Deck and just tinkering around in there. Not hard to do, all right? So first I'd upgrade the storage. I'd try to get up to like 512 gigs if I could. Then, because I know there's a way, but I'm not sure how it would be done. I would look to dual boot the system. A lot of systems when you install Linux on them and they're Windows based, it will automatically have a way to boot to either Windows or the version of Linux. In fact, I had a MacBook Pro that uh, really screwed things up because I used Bootcamp to dual boot Mac OS and Windows. And then on the Windows half of the drive, I then split it again from Windows to Ubuntu. Why? No reason. It actually was pretty bad, and a lot of device drivers didn't actually detect well on Linux, so I ended up switching it back anyway. But that's what I would do. I would have it dual booted, for starters. Then, in my travel bag, I would have a USB-C port expander. And have a small USB keyboard and small USB mouse. Because that would be the best way to, to use the Steam Deck using Windows. Keyboard and mouse, you could go ahead and get various little this and that, and then a spare controller. But then you have to then ask yourselves, you know, you went ahead and you did this. Was it worth it? And honestly, just talk about it, talking about it out loud, I'd probably rather just have the Steam Deck and just keep it with Linux as a whole and then just carry a, a Windows 10 tablet or something. Because man, carrying around all this stuff just to go ahead and have a seven inch Windows device that's big and bulky, not very appealing. It's, I think it's just much better off just leaving SteamOS as is now that I talk about it out loud. But if you want to go ahead and put, throw Windows on there to go ahead and do Windows things like some oddball game, or maybe you want to go ahead and see if it'll run some retro games that aren't SteamOS compatible, by all means, your hardware. And that's the beauty of the Steam Deck. Valve isn't intentionally trying to get in the way to stop that sort of thing. You are more than welcome to make mistakes. How is it, how is it said in uh, the Magic School Bus? Take chances, make mistakes, get messy. Why not? As long as you're confident you can go ahead and restore the device, I'd say go for it. If you're not confident, then probably not. Speaking of things that people are confident or not confident about, uh, someone went ahead and installed Windows 11 on a Surface Duo. 
Okay, then. <laughs> They're not talking about how well it runs, but just the fact they went ahead and did it. They put Windows 11 on the for with the, um, the, the, of course, forked version for uh, ARM is still very, very amusing. Now then. Let's talk for a moment about Google. Because Google is now hitting, hinting that Windows games are going to be running on Stadia. What? Okay. So... I have a lot of questions. Well, what, what were they running on before? Because Google seemed to heavily imply that we're running PC games, right? If we weren't running Windows games before, were you running these other games, were they being coded specifically for Stadia? I just... Is that why you have no games? See, now this is an, a very fascinating admission, whether Google realizes it or not. Because they've been marketing this thing saying, we are using this killer hardware, just like your PC, but it's remote, so you don't have to worry about buying all this expensive hardware. So it's not like a PC. You're basically making your own console, making it cloud-based, and then saying, you know, buy games as those are... This is mind-blowing. I'm sorry, what? What the heck is going on at Stadia? I, I don't understand. I really, really don't. Google is, uh, Google has blown my mind. I, I don't know what to say. I really, really don't. We're going to take our break here. And when we come back, yeah, it's been a while since we've actually had a break inside the bonus episode. When we come back, I want to talk about the new processors coming out from AMD. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, Eagle Eyes on Tech. I'm Eagle Falcon. All right, so AMD is reportedly going to be launching four new Ryzen 5000 CPUs. We have the Ryzen R5 5500, which is going to be a six core, six cred processor, 5600, which is going to be a six core, 12 thread, 5700X, which is going to be an eight core, 16 thread, and, and 5800X. X3D, which is an 8-core 16-thread. We knew about the 5800X3D. That's supposed to be the competition to Intel's new highest-end gaming processor, but it comes with some unfortunate 
rumored news. Reports say that the new 5800X3D will not have overclocking enabled. And I got to ask why? This seems to just come out of nowhere for the most part. It's like... AMD kind of entered in the CPU market recently to go ahead and say that we are going to really shake up the CPU market. And they did. Ryzen took the throne after much research and development and over 10 years of just doing nothing. And one of the reasons that Ryzen was so loved, not only for the performance, but also for the fact that they offered a ton, underline a ton, of features that Intel wasn't. Backwards compatibility that they thought they weren't going to be able to do and then kept, despite our protests, just giving us anyway when they thought they couldn't do it anymore to give us overclocking, even on CPUs that didn't make sense to have overclocking, to offer both non-ECC and ECC support on, for the most part, all chips, all these sort of features that Intel just said, no, we can't do that because this, that, or the other reason, just kept making up stuff. Well, now we're starting to see that kind of fraying away. No overclocking on the X3D. Maybe there's a legitimate reason. I kind of wonder. You got me kind of in this boat of, hmm. And really, when push comes to shove, you're not going to be overclocking the CPU all that much. Ryzen is not a very good overclocker just because the nature of Ryzen being multiple CPUs stitched together with the infinity fabric makes it so that if one of those chiplets isn't a good overclocker then the whole chip becomes not a very good overclocker so your odds of getting a good overclocker out of Ryzen is you know cut fairly significantly so it's not the end of the world but it is showing a trend and then you compile that with the fact that we got New Threadripper parts. Threadripper 5000 came out, but only Threadripper 5000 Pro. And those are only available to the OEMs that actually want to build on them, which again is really disappointing, especially when I'm trying to go ahead and with the launch of the Mac Studio, try to find a cost comparative machine how am I supposed to spec one out if the only way to get a thread river part is with an OEM build and at a significantly higher cost than it should be I'm going through Dell's site right now to see what is the cost for a thread river pro system they don't even have one what about HP? Does HP have a Z series with a Threadripper Pro in it? 
on their page, they have Z. <laughs> you go to HP's page, they have Z unlocked, an interactive field made for data scientists. Oh, cool. I'm sure they'll go great with my, uh, with my desire to find a PC. Even when you go to the workstation section, that's the first thing that comes up is this short film. Let's see your Z2s. We have three different Z2s, mini, SFF, and tower. We have a Z set. Oh, they actually, HP now made a rack mount <laughs> workstation. Oh boy. Nope, all of theirs is in fact still Intel. So that must mean Lenovo is the only big name that actually is going ahead and making the Threadripper powered workstations. Ugh. Just my, my disappointment. But you get what I'm saying, right? If you wanted to go ahead and you wanted a new Threadripper, because the, the thing, the Threadripper, you grab one of these, it starts at 24 cores. And for the most part, let's admit it, you're going to have a hard time using it. But the fact that you had the chance to go ahead and grab such a high-end part, and it was available for the masses to get. Well, not anymore. At least the Threadripper-based workstation starts at... Oh, never mind. That's last gen. Do they not even have a, a, a Threadripper 5000 series? Ah, oh, man. My disappointment knows no bounds, apparently. So not only can I not buy the part, I can't even buy a machine with the part. Meanwhile, uh, Intel Arc, the, uh, their GPUs may be getting a release window in May or June of 2022. So new GPUs, maybe from someone that can actually, uh, keep them in stock. There is reports of the GPU prices starting to go down, which, uh, very very good news. Let's actually take a look. RTX 2060. How much is a 2060 going for? Woo! How depressing is this? I see $450 and I'm like, oh man. It's not as bad of a ripoff now. They actually are going down. 3060 is still in the $600 range. Where it's supposed to be in the, you know, $330 range MSRP. But you know what? Hey. We're getting close. Meanwhile, NVIDIA is releasing a RTX 3090 card 
And we could be seeing it at March 29th, according to reports. The report also says that the RTX 3070 Ti with 16 gigs of memory is also being scrapped. The 3090 Ti should, in fact, be the last 3000 series card we'll see. Maybe we'll even start seeing them return to shelves just in time for them to be replaced by the 4000 series. Here, you know what? I'll make my prediction. I think 4000 series, we're going to see Q1 2024. I think NVIDIA is going to take their sweet, 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 sweet time putting that out so they actually have a chance to really get these 3000 series out to people. And also I'm willing to bet the, the R&D is delayed in quite a bit. They also want to go ahead and build up stock before they go ahead and release it all. That is my bold prediction. One thing that is getting a little infuriating is that uh, the new ATX 3.0 spec from Intel is going to have a PCI Express Gen 5 cable, which is going to be a six-pin connector with another four pins on top of that. And what's more crazy about this cable, well, first off, the good news is that uh, theoretically it's just going to be this one cable you need to plug into your graphic card. Here's the problem. They come in the variants of 150 watts, 300 watts, 450 watts, and 600 watts. But they all look the same, except they're supposed to say what their wattage is on the cable. How long until that wears out and then you don't know? And then you overload the cable and you have bad time. I got a bad feeling about this. And quite frankly, um, I would much rather, and I know this is going to sound weird. I would much rather see this standard come out. I, I, I don't know. I was, I was about to say something stupid. I'd rather see this as breakaway cables, but no, that would also be impractical. Well, here's my question. All right. And feel free to say the answer to me if you actually are an electrical know-how person. Why not just make them all 600 watt cables? The card's only going to draw whatever it draws. It's not like power supplies and cables push power into a device. The device will only draw what it wants. At least in the terms of wattage. Voltage, of course, is another, another story. But wattage-wise, it'll only draw what it needs, right? I think it has to do with, like, the, the amperage it'll draw or something like that. So why not? Why not go that route? I don't know. It's a standard that I think is going to drive people nuts. Android is getting an archive feature that'll let you free up device storage without uninstalling apps. Yes. Please. I am all on board with this if I can go ahead and view that archive folder later and determine which one of those I actually do want to keep, which ones I don't, and more importantly, when they're archived, how much of their permission is blocked off. 
there's gonna be the real answer. Intel is gonna be urging their partners to abandon DDR4 for the next generation of processors for Raptor Lake and push everyone to use DDR5. Uh, honestly, I'm not surprised. And in the grand scheme of things, this is probably for the best. DDR5 is clearly the future. It's being really wonky right now, mostly because we're still learning. And then on top of that, DDR5 is just really expensive because silicon chips in general are in such a shortage. Once the shortage is solved, this will be a non-issue. All right. I know I'm kind of rapid firing through this, but, you know, this is what we got left. Next up, Google shares grand vision of tablets surpassing laptop sales with tab... And they want to go ahead and push tablet-first Android apps and more. All right. You know what? Do it. The Android tablet market is atrocious. Right now, the only competent maker out there of tablets that's on the Android side is Samsung, and they're all very high-priced. But the Android experience is for tablets is awful. And in the end, Apple... You know, an iPad, I can hand an iPad to pretty much any general computer user, and... They'll be fine. You know, if I if I hand my my grandmother a tablet, she'll be able to do everything she ever wanted to do on her laptop and still be on her tablet. The only thing she'll probably want is a stand for it. But for the most part, you know, I'd say the average computer user, you could give them a tablet and they wouldn't notice. Power users and in-between general user and power user... They're probably going to want, want a keyboard, but or a, a keyboard, a laptop, or a desktop of some form. And I think a lot of that just has to do with the fact that tablets, in their capability, hasn't reached up to what a desktop or a laptop can do. And a lot of it has to do with the operating system. They are very, very lacking. So, come on, Google. Let's see it. Show us what an Android tablet can really do. Microchips new SSD controller enables 200 terabyte PCI Express 5.0 drives for our data centers. It, and you know what? I'd be more excited about this if it weren't for the fact that all of the Theoretical speeds is just that theoretical, but assuming it can meet it, we can talk about over 14 gigabytes per second reads and writes to the SSDs, to which I say, do it. Come on, let's see it. I want to see what data centers can do with that, so that sort of thing. Although at that point, I mean, your CPU is going to be the bottleneck. The rest of the system is going to be the bottleneck, which in itself is very exciting. A few Activision stockholders and investors are being investigated for uh, insider trading. Are you really surprised? 
are you really surprised in the least that there's some insider trader going? Bobby Kotick just going over and say, hey, hey, hey. Guys. Purchase up a bit more of the stock. We're going to be announcing that Microsoft's going to buy us soon. Roughly $108 million worth of Activision shares were bought just four days before the Microsoft acquisition was announced and made out a profit of around $60 million. Wow. Man, that insider trading really pays. And then finally, another last burb. The last story for this episode and the weirdest story of the week. This even tops the one I had in the main story. This one actually broke uh, shortly after I did the main podcast. A company has offered employees pods to masturbate in as a company perk complete with VR headsets. A company as an employee perk has offered masturbation chambers. Some places let you bring in your personal clothing to do your laundry. Other places go, go ahead and offer health insurance. Other places offer a free meal. It's only natural that this place would offer jack-off pods. Now, in fairness, the company that did this is an adult website called StripChat. They installed four of these masturbation pods for its 200 employees that will allow them 30-minute paid breaks during work to make use of the pods. The decision to install the pods made was made to help employees cope with the stress of the COVID-19 pandemic with 200 employees sharing four pods. They may not have assessed the stress and awkwardness involved in queuing at work for <laughs> the recreational period. This is stupid. I'll just say it. There is no... And you might think, okay, it's for an adult website place. All right, that makes sense. There are apparently some places of work that are also putting this that are not in the adult entertainment industry, to which I have to ask, why? Why would you do this to yourself? I just, I just can't even. I just can't even. Folks, that is going to do it for this episode of Eagle Eyes on Tech. Thank you so much for listening. Holy cow, I just saw what time it is. And thank you again for subscribing. Check out the other works. Take care, and I hope you have a great day.